prepare our hearts for the message that God has for us. We are in 1 Peter. We are in the fourth chapter. I do again one of this week read verses 7 uh, through 11 of 1 Peter 4. Here we read the following. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment. Be sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do it as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we are so grateful again for the opportunity to sing this morning, the opportunity to give the opportunity to be reminded of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ and for having the privilege now to open the word of God. And I pray that the spirit of God would use it. We thank you for it. We thank you that, Father, it helps us and reminds us, those who have trusted in Christ and just participated in the communion, that we are but aliens. We are living here. This is not our home. And, Father, help us to live as citizens of heaven while here on earth, and we pray that this text would help us, for we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. There are, as a preacher of God's word, I want to say, before I even give the title, there are messages that are difficult to give. Sometimes the messages are difficult to give because of the grammar of the text, some because of the language in which the text was written and its construction and so on. Uh, some of it because it's just hard to understand. And some texts are hard to preach because they're overly convicting. Because they're just difficult. Uh, and this is one of those texts. I will tell you, and forgive me if I repeat myself later, but since I've been involved in studying this text for a while, I have absolutely been amazed at the conviction that it has brought to me and how I have failed in my walk and even in my leading as a pastor in this area. And before you all say amen and just get up and leave, I would just ask you to bear with the text and listen carefully yourselves. And you might see why I've been beat up for about three weeks. But here it is. I've entitled it, Not Just Love, that's easy, but Earnest Love. In this text, as we have begun it in our study last week, we noticed in verse 7 that the end of all things is near, and I'm just really repeating the verse to you, and we saw in essence, if you were here with us, that this is standing before Christ. It's our accountability to him. And both the unsaved will face accountability to Christ, and so will the saved, even though we do not have any condemnation, according to Romans, we still have accountability for those things that we've done in our body since we have trusted in Christ. And that accountability is near, it is imminence. It can happen at any time. And while I would say that the majority, if not uh, maybe even higher than that, in this room believe that, the question last week as we dealt with verse 7 is how does it affect us? Uh, many people talk even about the rapture. They talk about the return of Christ. So they talk about us dying and standing before Christ. And it can happen at any time. And then we go our way with our theology and there's very little effect on what it does for our life. But we saw in verse 7 that if we truly believe this, it should affect us. 
And how should it affect us? It should affect us by our behavior. It should affect us by the way we live. And last week in verse 7, he gave us some very practical instruction. Number one, he said that we ought to be of sound mind. If you really believe that imminently you can be in the presence of God and you can give, be given an account to him, it ought to affect the way you think. We ought to be able to keep level-headed, as we talked about it last week. Despite the chaos, will there be chaos around us? Yes. Will there be persecution? Yes. Will there be circumstances in our, li our lives that are not comfortable? Yes. But we saw last week, in the midst of that chaos, we ought to think clearly. We are not to be ruled by our emotions, but we are to be ruled by clear thinking. And we gave you several biblical illustrations last week. Secondly, closely related to that, we ought to be sober-minded as well. We ought to be sober. We ought to be alert. And if you think of alcohol, alcohol affects the brain and it controls you. And sometimes you do things you would not normally do. Well, we ought to be controlled by the Spirit of God. We are not to be lacking in self-control we want to be the most alert that we can be in all circumstances. And too often, Christians let down their guard when they're talking with other Christians, when they're talking with unbelievers, when we're in difficult situations. We let the awe, when things are going very well, we let down our guard and we are not. But if we really, truly are living for Christ and expect him that we will be before him giving an account soon, we will be thinking soberly and we will also let it affect us so it won't control us. And it will drive us to prayers, we said in the plural. That is, ultimately, to show us our dependence upon God. And we will be seeking him. So verse 7 was a very powerful verse in, in Peter telling them, okay, now you're under persecution. You're a citizen of heaven. You're living here on earth. And now here's some other practical things for your life. If you really believe Christ is imminent to be before him, it will affect your life. So our theology should affect our behavior. Well, he's going to continue on. And as he comes to verse 8 today, which is the extent of how far we will get, just to prepare you for it, we will not get to the other verses yet. Now in verse 8, he talks about earnest love. And I want to make some comments right at the beginning. I've already mentioned personally how very difficult this has been. And uh, I want you to know, again, this is a great idea and a great uh, reason why you have, have expository preaching. And wherever you're from or whatever you're doing, or whatever church you may attend, if you happen to be just stopping in today, if you're not in a church that's expository preaching, you are never going to get the whole counsel of God. And even when things become convicting to me, I am forced to teach it because it's the right thing to do. And so as we come to this text about earnest love, the general comments I want to make is um, there are exceptions to what I'm going to say, but... Generally, I think if we're observant of our society today, and even Christianity, today we are living in a self-centered environment. We are living in a situation where everything is built upon self-satisfaction. People like quick fixes to everything. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it be medical, whether it be marriages, whatever it is, we're looking for quick fixes. I know I've illustrated it before, one long, long time ago when I was in accounting, I am, was amazed when somebody would be now called upon by the IRS to answer all of these things, and they'd come in and drop a box on my desk and want all the problems solved immediately. You've got to be kidding me. It's, it's just not that easy. Uh, we're living in a throwaway society. That is our society, self-centered, self-satisfying, quick fix, throwaway. And again, not everybody, and thankfully, I believe even in our church, here we have exceptions to these things. People are bored very fast. They're bored with life. They're bored with circumstances. And what happens, people change all the time. And change can be good. When The older you get, we don't like change. And I can say we because I'm there. I have a Medicare card in my pocket here. All right? So we, we don't like change. But in reality, we also need to be careful because people just because of self-centeredness, because of boredom and so forth, we are changing jobs all the time. We are changing spouses in our world today. We are changing houses. We are changing churches. We are changing TV channels. I do that all the time. 
you know, it, it was changing, changing, changing. People that play video games, this one, I'm bored with that, I need a new one. And, and, and everything's about change. We're always looking for something new. We're looking for something exciting. I think that's a pretty fair presentation of the world we're living in. And that's what it is. Children become the center of everything. It's amazing. Even in marriages, everything's all about the children and everything's centered on them. And, and uh, they are put before God. They're put before spouses. They're put before the local church. They're put before all this. That's reality today. And if it's not satisfied, they're bored, so we got to move on and find something else. And, and nobody's happy with things. Uh, and yet, it's interesting, because if that's accurate, and I think it is fairly accurate from the world that I've lived in anyway, uh, the other thing that I see, even among Christians, is then a strong emphasis on love. We need more messages on love. We need to just love. And in the midst of all of that that's going on, so what's supposed to just do away with everything is just love. Just love. And it's spoken of frequently. Its emphasis is frequently uh, there. Uh, but I have a question. What is biblical love? It's fine to talk about love, but what is really biblical love? How does it work? How does that work? What do we mean by it? Do we mean by love that we give someone or we give ourselves everything that we want? Sometimes in practice, that's what it is. Just give them what they want, and that's love. To others, it means that you never discipline. You just don't discipline. You don't get involved in dealing with real problems. You don't confront anybody when they're wrong because we just love them and we don't confront them. Or we just satisfy our emotions. We satisfy our feelings, and that's what love. And honestly, I would like you to turn to this for just a moment. Go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. 2 Samuel 13. So as I make these initial comments, hopefully it's reality in the world that we're living in. But I... I come to this a little bit, uh, sometimes as I even look at my own life and we look at these situations, when even people talk about love and they really are sincere about it, I wonder if sometimes the love they're talking about is not the one like we see with Amnon. What do you mean? Well, look at chapter 13 of 2 Samuel, just two quick verses. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, now it was after this, and I don't have time for the context, that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, watch this, loved her. He loved her. He was filled with love. Really? Go down to verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with a very grateful hatred, for he hated with which that he hated her, the hatred for which he hated her, was greater than the love which he had loved her. Isn't that interesting? That's just 15 verses. And within 15 verses, you got a situation, basically all he cared about was satisfying himself, that his love was not dealing with righteousness whatsoever. And it, it came out because really, in reality, while he talked love, his life reflected hatred, and his hatred was actually stronger than the love. It, it, there was no real depth to it. There was no real earnest, as we're in our text. There was love, but it wasn't earnest love. There was love, but it wasn't biblical love. But I believe in our text here in 1 Peter, what Peter is addressing in our text will speak of what truly is biblical love. It is biblical love. And I've broken it down into four categories. Just this one verse, verse 8. And I've broken it down into this, and this is what I will be preaching on as we deal with earnest love. The importance of it, number one. Uh, second, its challenge. Third, its uh, direction. And fourth, the practical application of it. Because I think that's what the verse is dealing with. Its importance, its challenge, its direction, its practical application. Uh, of it. So as we come to our text, let me read it again. 
Here in chapter 1, verse 4, uh, chapter, excuse me, 4, verse 8, it says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. And to begin with, I think it's important we see that he's addressing love, and I will reference you to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, for just a moment, because this church is absolutely known for, I believe, anyone that I've talked to, it's known for its doctrine. It's known for its teaching. In fact, some people won't come here because that's what we concentrate on, is teaching the word of God, and they want all the other stuff. Uh, other people come here for that very reason. Uh, but we do speak the truth, and we try to teach sound doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, interesting text where it's talking about the body of Christ, and it's talking about the gifts given and how the body is to function together. And he comes down to verse 15, and he says, but speaking the truth in love. They go together. Any church that just has love and doesn't have doctrine is not a sound church. Any church that just has doctrine and doesn't have love is not a sound church. It has got to have the combination, the right combination of both, and even for the body to function. And it says, we are to grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ. And the whole body will fit together, verse 16, when you have the right combination. You don't eliminate the teaching of the word of God. You need it. But you also need to have the word of God taught soundly, and you need to have the proper balance of love. So that's what you've got as we begin in 1 Peter chapter 4. It's importance. You notice what he said, and I repeat it again. Above all, if uh, we believe that it's imminent that I stand before Christ and we're to be sound in our thinking, above all of this, what does he mean? This is the supreme thing. This is what is important. This is a priority. There is no putting this second. And again, it goes hand in hand with doctrine. This must be a priority. What is it? My love and your love for one another and our love for Christ needs to be there. We'll expand on who it's directed to it in a little bit. But it is to be a priority. We are living here as aliens on this earth. We belong to Christ. This is not our permanent home. And we are to live with a priority of love in our life. And if you don't think that's important to Peter, and he's not talking about this consistently, let me remind us what we have studied. Go back to chapter 1, just quickly highlight this, because he actually explains it here too. Chapter 1, verse 22. Since you have an obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. And I would be willing to say that any believer here would say amen to that. In theory. But he has already taught that we are to be sincere in our love, fervently loving one another, where from the heart. Go to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 17, he said, honor all people. Then what did he say? Come on. I only heard two people. Love the brotherhood. I know you don't want to say it, but let's do it. Love the brotherhood. Even Pastor Dan, yes. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. You notice he's been talking about chapter 3, verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. You say he didn't say the word love. Yes, he did. We studied that together. That sympathetic, that brotherly, that's talking about brotherly love. That's the word in there that's we're dealing with love. He's been emphasizing that all along. So first of all, what we need to see as we look at verse 8, when he says, above all, if you are really living in anticipation, and you're going to have to stay here all the way to the end of this message. If you're living in anticipation of standing before Christ imminently and giving an account, you had better have a priority of love in your life. I had better have that you had better have that. You say, that's easy. That's the, that is. That's the easy part. It gets tough. It's challenge. We are to see right away that he says in verse 8, above all, keep fervent in your love. That's what he says. He is talking about the word that you've heard many times as people talk about some language some, once in a while. This is the word from agape. This is the important part of love, if you will. This is, 
It is emotional. Sometimes we think it's not emotional. Anybody that says love is not emotional, that's not true. Love is emotional. But it, when you talk about agape love, it goes beyond emotion. We're talking about biblical love here, love that is, listen to me, this type of love and its challenge, this is self-sacrificing. This is a type of love that puts effort into it all the time. You notice what he says here? Keep fervent love. And I'll expand on the word in a second. It, it, it puts effort into it. It is a conscious decision. When I talk about this love, these are decisions that I am making every day. These are decisions that I am making throughout the day, every day, that goes way beyond even the emotions that are there. Emotional love, let me put it to you this way, just happens. What you saw with Amnon happens. That's easy. He saw somebody, she looked good, female, he's male, it happens. When you talk about this type of love, agape love, agape love, listen, is work. It is decisions. It takes a lot of effort. And it took a decision on the part of Jesus Christ to consciously say, I will love them with my life. I will lay it down and do your will. And in many other circumstances, he showed it. When he says, keep fervent, I want you to understand a little bit more about that term. This is the idea when he says fervent. It is something that is fully stretched. And when you go back and look at the term, it's interesting. I didn't see it, but I heard about it apparently. And I don't remember the name of the horse. It had American in it someplace. But it had something to do with he won the triple crown. Okay, but uh, the interesting thing is that I want to get is not your mind thinking about the triple crown. And for those of you who don't know about it, it's not on your head. Okay, but... It, but, it, but it's the idea of this, because it, it really goes back to this term. It, it has the idea of an animal that's stretching. And sometimes, when you, if you've ever seen a horse run, sometimes you'll see a picture where not one single foot is on the ground. It is just stretching for the next stride. And it's putting every bit of effort into it. Or if you think of an athlete, it's someone who's straining their muscles. They're, they're putting that weight up, and you can see their arms are bulging, and you're waiting for everything to burst. And they're just putting it up. Or an athlete's putting everything into it. Let me stop right here. Is that what I put into love? Is that what you really put into Christian love? Where you are strenuously working at, that is a priority. It requires endurance. It requires pain. It requires effort and work, not sleep, not I don't have the time for it. An athlete knows that. An athlete can't turn around and say, yeah, I just don't feel like doing it. You know what? You're going to be way behind the eight ball. Not only that, you might not be playing, but they got to stretch. What's the point? So far what we've seen is it's got to be a priority and it is hard work, it is sacrificial work, it is inconveniencing myself and it is something that I really need to strain at. Third, where is it directed? It is directed, watch, verse 8. He says above, your priority should be to keep it by the way it's established by the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives it to us, makes it possible. Christ loved us first going all the way back to all of that that I'm not spending time on. But it's a strenuous thing where we're to keep it fervent in our love, we're to really make that a priority. Watch, for one another. In this epistle so far, he has already talked about us toward the world. He said you're going to face persecution and you were like that, but now you have the gospel. Now your life is to shine before them. When they, ant when they uh, persecute you, you're not to persecute back. And he's given that instruction. Now he's putting it back to the everyday difficult living. Where is it? With the body of Christ. It's directed to the church. It's directed to the brethren. It is directed to me. It is directed toward me, toward you, you toward me. This side toward that side. Listen, us toward other believers who are not in this local assembly. It is directed toward how we are to treat one another. We, each of us, Pastor Dan, you, are to be strenuously 
every single day, stretching ourselves for the sake of the glory of God in loving the brethren as Christ loved us. And we ought to do that. That is to be a top priority. So, the first three parts were pretty easy. It's the last one that gets uncomfortable. Because what we see is Peter is saying, look, you're here as aliens. You believe that you're going to give accountability imminently. Yes, I do. Well, let it affect your thinking. Be of a sound mind. A lot of chaos around you, but be a thinker. You want to be a thinker. You want to let nothing else control you, but that you're here as an alien, living for Christ. And your priority should be love, but not just any type of love, agape love, which is sacrificial love, and let it stretch you to the limits so that you make it a priority that this is what I am going to do above all costs. And it's got to be directed, listen, toward believers. And now comes the tough part, the practical application. Fine. You want me to exercise. You want me to stretch. You want me to think. And, and, but it's got to be more practical than that. How can I do it? And here comes the bombshell. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, that wasn't too bad, Pastor Dan. It was easy. Really? Look at it close. I believe it's an explanation. It could be a reason. And, you know, you have the word because in English or whatever. I think it's an explanation. I think he's, he's explaining it. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Let me first of all tell you what it doesn't mean. And then I'll tell you what it does mean. And you'll see why I had a very difficult three weeks. Here's what it doesn't mean. It is not dealing with the atonement. Some commentaries feel it's dealing with the atonement. This is not an atonement for sin. It's not talking about that at all. Christ is the one who atoned for sins. We can't atone for one another's sins in no way, shape, or form. It doesn't make us right with God. To make it very simple, that's not what the passage is dealing with. He's not been anywhere in that vicinity with this where he's talking to the brethren. We don't atone for one another's sins. Salvation is simple, simply this. You are a sinner. I am a sinner. The wages of sin is death. We are totally separated from God, have no hope of eternal life in and of ourselves. There is nothing that I can do, nothing that you can do religiously, physically, mentally, spiritually to satisfy the justice of God and make myself right with him. It's impossible. No good works will ever get me to heaven or anybody. Saying prayers, reading your Bible will not get you to heaven. Saying that you're a Christian will not get you to heaven. The only thing is that God so loved us that he sent Jesus Christ because the wages of sin is death. And he who knew no sin, who was God himself, took on flesh totally as God-man, went to the cross to bear the penalty and price for sin, which is death deserved, to satisfy not you and me, but the righteousness of God, and satisfied him. And now it is appropriated, appropriated to individuals by personal belief. That is the mechanism that God chose. And I believe in the sovereignty of God, that he's the one that draws, because we're dead. But the bottom line is, those who have exercised faith have the benefit of that and have the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. The only reason I stand here and know I am going to heaven, it is certainly not because of me. The bottom line is, is because of the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And that alone. And through faith in him, I have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And if you're sitting there and have the gift of eternal life, you're sitting there for the same reason. That God opened up the eyes of a dead person and brought him to salvation. That is the only way you get to heaven. And it is hot in here. I see people doing this. It is warm up here as well, if we can adjust that. So it's not dealing about that. Secondly, it is not, listen carefully, this passage is not dealing, when it says love covers a multitude of sins, it is not saying that the church, listen carefully, it is not saying that the church or believers are to ignore, deny, nor cover up blatant sin this is not talking about that at all in fact if you look through scriptures we know that because in Acts chapter 5 for example someone lied against the Holy Spirit and they were struck dead 
You come into 1 Corinthians and you have Paul addressing an assembly who thought it was beautiful that they were just liberal and this one was having an affair of incense, incest, excuse me, incest. And because that was going on, the people were saying, hey, we're a modern society. We're up with the things. And he was saying, are you kidding me? Address that sin. Get them out of the church. Confront it. And all through Matthew, you go to Galatians, you go to Thessalonians, and it's dealing with even 1 Corinthians. It's when a person says they're a believer and they're involved in drunkenness and a person says they're a believer and they're constantly lying and a person says they're a believer and they're constantly doing this, you separate from them so that they get embarrassed and come back to where they should be with Christ. They're involved in immorality, you confront it. That's what we ought to do. So this, this isn't dealing with that. It's even more difficult than that. You see, because when sin comes, the church needs to clean it up. Doesn't matter who it is. So what is the text saying then, Pastor Dan? Let me give you the essence and then I'll really bring it home, I hope. It is dealing more with the behavior of believers that will end up, if it's not taken care of under love, absolutely destroying the body of Christ and the entire Christian community so that we will bite and devour one another and do what the United States of America is doing right now, self-destruct. That's what it's dealing with. It's the type of things that cause us to bite and devour one another. It is the everyday stuff. It's the everyday stuff. I've been amazed, as I said, since I've been studying this for a few weeks, at the number of times I've been at my desk studying and within the course of the day, I was brought into conviction, you just did it. You failed. You failed. And how many other situations have been put into my life? What does this mean then? What is it talking about? If it's not talking about atonement, if it's not talking about not addressing sin, what does he mean? Love covers a multitude of sins. Remember, it's earnest love. It's love that's been stretched when it comes to a hurt toward me. You say, you, Pastor Dan? Yes. When it comes to a hurt toward you, it accepts the faults of others. It hates to stir up dissension. It hates to add to the quarrels and will not allow it to go on. It puts an end to it. It covers it. It puts it away. Literally, it covers it. It stops it in its tracks. It suppresses it. It doesn't add to it. It looks at the importance of the body of Christ as a bigger picture than what happened to me. And I fail that. And I guarantee so have you. It looks at the entire body. Let me give you a couple of quotes. Clement of Rome, in dealing with this text, said this. Love, fervent love, endures everything. It is long-suffering, and I like this, right up to the last. Another writer put it this way. When a private injury has been done to me, it treats it as though nothing had ever occurred. Thereby, and here's what I want you to catch, thereby bringing the potential evil to an end. It dies. It kills it. And it leads no seed for the future. And I say amen to that. And I fail. Hurts come to me. Maybe some hurts come to you. And what happens is we carry it. We don't look beyond the church of Jesus Christ. We don't look at the glory of God. All we feel is what happened to me, and we start to talk. 
and it becomes evil and it devours and it destroys and we're the first one to turn around to someone else and say, you don't love anyone. And it's us, it's me, it's you that are not loving fervently the way we are. You know, it's interesting. The early church, listen carefully, had nowhere to go. They didn't. They didn't have 45 churches in five miles. You had a church at Ephesus. You had a church at Corinth. You had a church at Colossae. You had these churches. And that is why, how, have you ever thought of this? How possibly could Paul, with all that was wrong in the Corinthian church, address that stuff and expect them to stay there and get it solved? Because they weren't a throwaway society because they learned that they had to work it through. Today, people carry things that have hurt them for days, for weeks, for months, and for years, and then they run. And they want to go someplace else that will tell them what they want to hear. Why? Because it's not easy to stretch myself with love and to solve the problem. They give up on a marriage because it's not easy to work that through. They give in to the child because I'm tired of hearing the noise. They throw the pots away because it's a lot easier. Rather than confront the person and say, you're wrong. Or, you're a gossip. Or, you shouldn't be talking about that. We back away and don't want to confront it because that's the biblical thing to do. We want to add to it. We want to make it worse. We don't think that way, but we don't squash it. People leave over insults. People leave over situations because they got other places to go. I'm going to go to a place where they don't treat me that way. Really? If you're there too long, if you don't treat them that way, they don't treat you that way, you'll treat them that way. Because that's life. There are some times that people make judgments and they don't know all the facts. It's interesting. I had that happen in, in a situation where just in the last two weeks I had to confront a situation like that. Someone that I was talking with and they said, you know, this was not handled right, this wasn't handled this way, that way, and I listened to the person and I said, really? I said, let me ask you something, do you know all the facts? Well, I know what I've heard. And I went through with the individual a few things, and I, this, this just happened a couple of weeks ago. And I went through with the, the individual and I said, now this was your situation, right? Yes. And I said, in this situation, was anything, is there any facts that are wrong? No. But it's the way I get treated because of it. Well, could the treatment have been worse for that? Well, yeah, it really could have been. But it wasn't. Right. So there was grace. So it was handled. Yeah, but this other person, I said, now let's talk about the other person. What do you know about that situation? Well, that was not fair because it's not like mine. I said, did you know that this one involved this and I can't go any further with you? Oh, no, I didn't know that was it. Did you know that this, oh, oh I, boy, I, boy, I'm, I didn't know that happened. And yet you're comparing this to this and you're calling everybody unfair because you don't know. That's what we do. That's not love at all. And what happens is we focus in on me, my hurt, and we want everybody else to know about it. I thought this writer was pretty practical. Let me, let me talk about conviction. This writer put it this way. In dealing with covering a multitude of sins, and again, when it centers on the hurts that I face, and killing it rather than carrying it, here's what the person said. And I think if we could put Fellowship Bible Church in here, any church. There is in your local church, Anne, I don't know if there's anyone Anne here, but you'll get it, who doesn't know too much about hygiene, and frankly, she stinks. There is Bill, who wears you out with incessant talking. There is Kathy, who's unspiritual. Dawn, who doesn't get along with 
Eileen. There is Fred, who treats his wife badly. There is Jean, in, uh, a gauche uh, is a gauche teenager, uh, never knowing how to act with courtesy or direction. There's Hillary, all she does is grumble. There's Irene, who has a different set of interests and values, and she can't come around on Tuesday evenings for prayer meeting because she hasn't got any time, and it clashes with her local Amnesty International group. And it goes on, and it goes on. There is Karen, to be sure. And by the way, these aren't people in our assembly. This is a writer, okay? There is Karen in the church who really is quite saintly, uh, but rather a pretty drab person. There is none of them that is very easy to love. I think he was pretty accurate. When I hear some of those people, you, you know, there's people we talk people's ear off. You see them coming, you go the other way. There, there's other situations you go, oh, I don't want to be, you know. We have to be honest. And it's easy to not be stretched. None of them is very easy to love, let alone to fully stretch out our love and love them. There is also, of course, myself. But I guess I figure I'm on some other people's lists. <laughs> and it's probably true. And his point is he went on to name this. This is really how we act. As believers is functioning, that's where the love is to come. That's agape love. Oh, I've been hurt or I don't like this one. But we make everything personal and we let the body of Christ get destroyed. And I'm admitting as a pastor, I've failed in this area. And so have you. We don't, that's what it means when love covers a multitude of sins. It isn't that we don't confront sin. When there's sin, I need to confront it. But when the hurt has come to me, I don't need to let everybody in the world know or get everybody on my side of the argument so that the body of Christ is destroyed. Or to run to another church. And I'm not asking anybody to stay or leave or anything like that. But that's the society that we're in. Rather than solve the problem, we just are so hurt that we won't get over it because the bottom line is we refuse to. And we struggle. Sometimes it's this. Let me see if I'm practical. Sometimes it's someone said something to someone or to me. Or I called them and they didn't return a call. I just had that happen recently. I just spoke to somebody recently, and that's what they said. I'm done with that person. I call them all the time. I remind them all the time. I want nothing to do with them anymore. I don't think the attitude's right. Yeah, but I've gone so far. Keep stretching. Do you know what's going on in that person's life? Well, you got this one. I walked down the hall, passed it in, looked right by me, walked right by me, didn't shake my hand. Looked me right in the eye, didn't say hi. Now, you've never had that happen, I hope. You probably have. You know, but honestly, but have you ever had that happen? And then someone walks by, you know, I've done everything for that person, and that person didn't even talk to me today, and I ain't talking to them for three months. That's love stretched, right? And then next time we have uh, uh, a cup of juice out in the, you know, hey, let me tell you, this person over here, that's really helping the body of Christ. That's love. Then you get the person that talks your ear off. Then here's a tough one. You got a person that's got a different standard than you. Or their family does. Yeah, that family's really strict. Oh, you got this. Yeah, that family, they're loosey-goosey or whatever. And rather than trying to resolve and trying to teach your own family how to get along and how to handle that brother who does have a little different standard. I mean, it's very practical, right? Even with the music. Some just love to sing hymns. Some today probably are going to go out of here saying the drums are too loud and others are going to go out of here saying that was perfect, that was beautiful, whatever. Yeah, we need to learn to love. We need to have a little give and take. We need to get along with one another. We need to see what God's doing. I looked at some of the words. I didn't know that first song. Great, great words. Theology was terrific. And I'm not pushing for music. We ignore other people. We, we have hurts. And let me, let me summarize it. i, I got to finish because we get the coming with the charge. How do you deal with a text like this? I, I think this is where we miss the boat with love. We talk about love. Sometimes we ignore sin. That's not what we're to do. We just think that's the perfect cover. Or giving everybody what they want. That's not it at all. What Paul's talking about 
He covers a multitude of sins. There's all kinds of things that will come your way that will hurt you, that will offend you. Now, again, if there's sin, it has to be dealt with. And really, it doesn't amount to a lot if you would just simply say, Lord, that hurt. Help me to have the strength to absorb it. And I say this. We struggle with it. I'll give you three reasons I think. Maybe I'm wrong. But three, I try to go through, why do I struggle with stuff like this? Here's number one. Struggle with it because the focus is too small. I focus too much on me. I have to be honest. What have people done to me? That's too small, folks. If Pastor Dan just concentrates on how people have treated me, and I don't look at the whole body of Christ, I'm hurting the body. Secondly, we keep records. We keep records. You remember what I read in 1 Corinthians 13? You're not going to like to hear it. Maybe you will. I didn't like to hear it. It says very easily that love is patient. We understand that. And we stand about the bragging. And we can get into everything about. But it does not take into account a wrong suffered. That is agape love. It doesn't take it into account. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Doesn't enjoy, rejoice when others are even on the same bandwagon as you are or I am. We le- need, listen to me, when I say keep records, understand biblically what that means. If it's records of hurts toward me, that's a problem. You're going to never get over that, and the only one that's going to suffer is me or you. We need to get rid of the records. That's why it goes on for days and months and years. And the true test is every time it comes up, you've still got the record. That doesn't mean, because anyone that would be wise with this, for example, if somebody is unfaithful in this and unfaithful in that, that doesn't mean you turn around and say, well, I ignore all the records, and so I make him an elder. No. You'd never do that in life. You'd never do it in business. You'd never do it in a family. You learn from personalities or things that happen, but you don't keep records on the hurts that happen to you. Thirdly, I, think, I don't think we practice forgiveness properly. We talk about it, but let me see if this has any bells to ring with you and now close. When I say we don't practice forgiveness, have you ever had somebody come up to you and they say they're sorry, uh, you know, I apologize? First of all, that's hard to do. And have you ever done this? Here's three quotes of me. That's okay. Uh, it doesn't really matter. No problemo. And then they go their way. And it's a big problem. You know why? It's a little harder to say this. This was where I get conviction. When somebody comes up and says, I apologize, to say, I forgive you. Not say it's okay, not let it go, but to turn around and say, I forgive you. Because if I say those words, it's now going to convict my heart that I have to let it go. Because that's the way Christ forgave me. My God help us with this. And I do pray that the body of Christ will be strengthened. As we learn that I need to be stretched and make a priority of love in my life. And cover a multitude of sins when I get hurt. Let's pray. Heavenly Father I thank you and praise you for the word of God. And Lord I know that I have failed in my personal life. I have failed in my shepherding to love the way I should love, but I'm sure that if each one of us were honest as we've come to this service and had communion and examine our hearts, there's ways in which we have not covered things. We've added, we've made it worse. We haven't stopped things. I pray you'd forgive us. We thank you, Father, you're forgiving God. Help us to forgive others genuinely. And help this body to grow. Help us not to run away from our problems, but to face them. And I pray that this assembly would be a shining testimony of what it truly means to not just have theology, but to practice it. And that others would see the change as it happens now, beginning day by day with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I know it's uh, gone over. Tchaikovsky's, where are you? I saw you, Pete. Come on. The kids with you? Come on. Here they come. There they come. Come on. I miss my dad. Well, come on, dad. Let's go.
For those of you that don't know, again, you heard maybe some of you came in a little bit later, but we are going to have this family, and, and I understand that people don't want attention on them because I know Pete doesn't want that, neither does Corrine, but it's, it's tough, and the scriptures actually deal with that. It's tough to have some people show favor toward you. That's one of the tough things. But uh, we do want to pray with them. They are heading out tomorrow uh, to Iowa. Uh, I had a daughter that lived in Iowa. I don't know why they want to go to Iowa, but it's his job. <laughs> so only kidding. But um, they have faithfully, <laughs> he came down, whoa, watch out. Have I offended you? No. <laughs> no, but um, they have served here faithfully in the school. We've had your teaching administration in the church, working in the uh, equipment, working with the teens, working in many, many different areas. And it's going to be missed, but it's a delight to see the Lord using them. And I'll be saying some words. Join us. They, they're the ones that instituted uh, chod, no, chow with the chods. Is that right? Yeah. Where they, the last couple of summers, they would provide... Uh, meals we didn't have to cook them they would and just to have fellowship and so we thought it would be appropriate today to have chow with the chods only I refused to let him cook <laughs> he wanted to but I wouldn't let him so we're going to enjoy that so come and join it with us but let's have a word of prayer for them let's stand as a family we do cherish your friendship hope you'll be back uh, well it's kind of hard I can remember Corrine when she was a little girl because we used to get together but uh, we wish the Lord's blessing on you all of you guys uh, as you go to Iowa. So let's pray for them, and then we'll be dismissed. Uh, no, we have a... I'll let you take it from there. Let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for this family. We thank you for their faithfulness in serving. And Father, we're delighted not to have them leave us, but Father, that hurts and brings sorrow. And yet, Father, we rejoice in the fact that you're working in their lives, this family, and you'll use them greatly in Iowa. We pray that uh, you continue to use them to draw others to Christ, to serve well in a local church, and to serve fervently. And I pray, Father, that you just encourage them, give them safety in their travels. We look forward to seeing them when they return for visits. And, uh, Father, certainly to rejoice in glory with you uh, when they hear well done as you are able to work through their lives. So thank you for Pete and Corrine and their family. And we wish rich blessing in their lives as they depart from us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.